So there you are. Yeah, we are. We ain't giving up yet. We haven't even started the season yet. We are looking continually at baseball, the 1911 Major League season. Uh, I am PQ River, and uh, welcome to the, the the fun and the absolute trivia and obscurity as we continue. Uh, this is the evening paper, the evening world from the sixth of April, 1911. And uh, the first thing we're going to look at um, in our look at the Giants, McGraw, to bring Colts here before he picks regulars. Chances of New York team playing game today, very poor indeed. And of course, our regular correspondent from the staff, Bozeman Bolger. 45 strapping athletes who are expected to shed luster on the polo grounds before another moon has passed stood in the shelter of the hotel corridor for 12 hours yesterday and watched the rain patter down as if thrown from a bucket. The ball grounds were a foot deep in mud early this morning and before the heavy rain set in it could be seen that there was no chance for a game. Two days of inactivity have made the Diamond heroes restless, and McGraw has told them that if a game is impossible today, he will have them take a two-hour turn in one of the large gymnasiums of Richmond. The only event of the day to start the baseball talk of buzzing was the arrival of the Colts, who came direct from Texas and flocked into the Holy Hotel yesterday morning. They came in with an unbroken record and Otis Crandall, the manager, was warmly congratulated. Every one of the youngsters wanted to know all of the details of the troubles at Atlanta. They said after reading the reports of the affair in the newspapers, they had a mighty strong yen to be mixed up in the fracas, if for a brief spell only. When the youngest youngsters joined the regulars, the baseball squad was increased to 45 players. Adding the three secretaries and the party of war correspondents, we now have over 50 New Yorkers ready to begin the siege of Richmond. The sun set clear last evening, but it again looked dubious for a game this morning. The grounds are so wet and soaked that the players will have little opportunity to run, even if they are able to get in the park. Jake Wells, the old catcher who's now a theatrical magnet and has three theaters in Richmond, called on the players yesterday and had them visit all of his shows. They took in a vaudeville performance in the afternoon, but at night they got the real thing in the shape of a Wild West melodrama in which somebody is shot or stabbed every other minute. Tero, Tessero, the bear hunting pitcher, ate this up for three hours and hollered, more. The recruits were very anxious for an interview with McGraw, and when they struck Richmond, and as they expected him to begin weeding them out to minor league teams. Don't worry, fellows, said McGraw. I'm going to take every one of you to New York and have you let you have a good look at the polo grounds and how we do business before I let anybody go. This put the youngsters at ease. They know that they are going to be traded soon, but they are ambitious to get to New York and have a good look before the scythe begins to cut. 
It is known that Boston is after catcher Hartley, but McGraw says he will not let him go to anybody as he intends to hang on to him all season. A dozen or more minor league clubs have been dickering for such men as Fullerton, Gowdy, Manush, Johnson, Lush, and Nagel, but nothing has been done in that direction. It's pretty well understood that when McGraw begins to weed out his team, Baltimore, Newark, Toronto, and Dallas will get the cream. The Giants have good friends in those cities, as they have shown McGraw favors on several occasions. It is but natural he would give them first pick. The managers of those four clubs are all old-time pals of McGraw. Jack Dunn is at Baltimore, Joe Kelly at Toronto, Joe McGinnity at Newark, and Jimmy Maloney at Dallas. Oh, look at that. That's where the iron Joe McGinnity is in 1911. Tonight, the Giants leave for for Baltimore to play their last game before going to the Polo Grounds. Only one position doubtful in Hilltop Teams outfield. Walter and Cree sure to be in the lineup in opening game. And uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, April 6. In these days of idleness of the Hilltops forced by rain, snow, or snow-covered fields, manager Hal chases plenty of time to figure out how he intends sending his team in against the world champion athletics in the first game of the championship series at Philadelphia next Wednesday. The players lined up anyway look fine and dandy from the way they played when last seen in Spangles, but there's no telling what these enforced idle days will cause. Although Henry Walter was out of the game several days on account of that bump he got on his arm by a pitch ball in Chattanooga, he is all right now, and it's the last thought in the young manager's head of keeping him out of the batting order. Chase is a great admirer of Walter, and there is a good cause for him to be. Walter is a mighty fine sticker, a corking base runner, and can field with the best in the market. They don't come much better for all around playing than this Walter, and unless the California boy goes amiss between now and opening day, his name is almost sure to lead the list of hilltops. Cree will play sure. Bertie Cree is going to get in there sure. He is a mighty fine fielder, but the thing that recommended him to a steady job is his mighty wallop when he is at the bat. Run getting is his strong suited, and its next too impossible to keep him out. So it would seem that the third outfield job lies between Charlie Hemphill and Bert Daniels. It's a toss-up between these fellows, and it will be up to Connie Mack, the athletics leader, which of the two is going to get the job on the first day out. By that is meant the style of pitcher Mack will use. If it be a right-hander, Hemphill will go to the field, and if a southpaw, Daniels will be sent in. It makes no difference which comes along. The Hilltop Club will not be weakened by the presence of either in the lineup. Of course, it's all settled about first and second base. Chase will be there at his old corner, and Knight will hold down the works at the Keystone Sack. Basing the opinion on the work done in the recent unpleasantness with the Reds in Cincinnati, it appears that Ray Hartzell will be found at short in the, at the opener, and Otis Johnson at third. 
Johnson in the past week or so has developed into a pretty fair batter, and with time he is sure to get even better. He has abandoned his old idea of trying to break the ball or drive it out of the lot and is meeting it nicely with a sort of a choppy stroke which shoots it out on a line and often out of the infielder's reach. With continued improvement with the willow, Otis is sure to become a regular, full-fledged regular of the Highland Brigade. Ray Hartzell has done very well at short. The ex-St. Louisan has proven Chase's good judgment in giving Austin and Frank Laporte for him. Hartzell is a fine fielder, has a good head, and is no mean one at the bat. He meets a ball nicely, and when it goes, it's on a line. He was always a good ball player, but his stock diminished the association with a tail-end club like St. Louis. He is imbued with new life and pepper now and is working as hard as anybody and his heart and soul are in the game all the time. He wants to make good and so far his trials have been very good. Hartzell, not a steady player. Although, according to those who say they know a ball player, though it is said that Hartzell is a first-class utility man, but for a steady one at any job, he falls below his capacities. In other words, steady work deprecates his value rather than increases it. But time alone can tell that, and if such a thing is true, Chase will not worry, for he has many a good sub he can send in. But those mentioned are the ones who are likely to figure in that first day lineup. And as for the battery, it is certain that Ed Sweeney will be there the, to take the hurls of any pitcher who may be selected. Walter Blair, too, is ready for the grind, and if Sweeney is not just right on the big day, it's Walter who will work. As for the pitchers, everyone wants the first crack at the Quaker boys, but the choice will probably fall to Big Jim Vaughn, whose left-handed flings were ever a bother to Max Men. He is fit for a grueling fray. Harry Abels is one who wants his chance too, but he will hardly get such an important assignment on the occasion of his breaking into the big tent. If, however, Vaughn can get away with the world's champions, Abels will get a chance at them in one of the first four games of the year. The athletics batting strength lies in left-handed batters, and, as is known, a southpaw pitcher against such batters usually works none too well for the batter, hence Chase's almost certain decision to send Vaughn in on opening day. But how Hilltop's all will bat is another story which Chase alone can tell, and he is yet undecided about it. And our little uh, rectangular squib gamer, no game, hilltops to leave Indianapolis today. The weather here has been nothing conducive to the perfect, further perfection of condition of the New York team. But if anything like a decent day comes along today, the team will get out and tackle the snowbound Indians of this town. Yesterday's game had to be called off. After the game, the team starts off for Wilkes-Barre, marking the nearer approach for all hands to America. And in our baseball gossip column, 
old Cy Young, who threatened to retire several weeks ago, who has come back, but who has come back like a regular patty, showed that he isn't himself this season in the series for the championship of Ohio between Cincinnati and Cleveland, where the latter club was beaten by a score of 7-3. to The grand old man of the diamond went along nicely for four innings, but in the fifth, he exploded, and when the smoke of battle had cleared away, five Reds had crossed the plate. McQuillan performed for the Reds for the first time and pitched a remarkable game. That Charles A. Comiskey, the president of the Chicago American League Club, is a shrewd man, is again emphasized by his latest move in having all of his players insured against accidents, illness, or death from any cause. This scheme will probably be adopted by every magnet in the big league who lose thousands of dollars every season when their stars are incapacitated. And one more rectangular squib for today. Hub Nationals think Giants will win flag. The Boston National League Club were with the Giants for a while, and they are as cocky as if they had a real look-in for the flag. They are still talking about their two games with the Highlanders. On account of that series being an even break, Fred Tenney says that Chase has promised to play it off in the fall. Tenney says that he has several promising youngsters and that he expects to beat out St. Louis and Brooklyn without any trouble. The Boston players were very anxious to know all about the prospects of the Giants, and to a man, they expressed the belief that McGraw will win out this season. And, uh, yeah, that'll do it for uh, our news of April 6th. We'll just roll right along. Uh, I thank you for listening. All of your comments, uh, news, what have you, if you want to address anything, just uh, drop an email to kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And uh, I'll be on at ASAP. And uh, again, I know that there are people who know a lot more about this stuff than me. So uh, any interesting tidbits, sidelines, uh, send them in. And uh, till the next time we meet, as always, I encourage you strongly to set the controls for the heart of the fun.